We're holding a webinar on learning sciences, and we have two wonderful guests. Our first guest is Elliot Washer from Big Picture Learning. He's the co-founder and co-director of Big Picture Learning, and he's based in San Diego, USA. We also have Rogers Kamushiga. He's the National Design and Training Manager at Educate, uh, based in Rwanda. Uh, and I'm Andine Bulow. I'm the moderator today. I'm the CEO and founder of Better Kids. Um, we know a lot about our brains, and yet we know very little. In the past uh, decades, there's been huge progress in terms of MRIs and EEG for uh, looking at brain activity. And uh, we do know that we have 100 billion neurons in our brains and as many glial cells. So the part that we've been able to, neuroscientists have been able to explore over the past um, decades um, is still very marginal. Um, um, yet, given the little things we know, uh, we're going to be focusing today on what are the key findings that have occurred over the past decades and how can we apply them um, to uh, products that are developed to the classroom and to better support the learners throughout their lives. And of course, we'll give examples of uh, how we all uh, do it on a, on a daily basis and how any teacher can be active in this process. This webinar is organized by WISE. WISE is the World Innovation Summit for Education. It's a network of educators and um, educator stakeholders from 200 countries around the world. So hello to everyone. And uh, we hope you find this uh, webinar valuable and that it will help you better understand and spark your curiosity as to the different discoveries that have been made on, on the brain and the ways we learn. Um, so first of all, let's, let's go around and uh, hear from our guests today. Okay. As you had, our presenter today had said, my name is Kamdi Shalodas Patrick, adding on from Rwanda Chigari. Uh, greetings from Rwanda. Anyhow, um, at Educate, we, we are a skills-based organization. We promote uh, skills-based learning by partnering with schools and governments to inform how and what teachers teach. And the main aim of that is to be able to build young leaders and entrepreneurs uh, who are able to, will be able to solve community problems, who will be able to startup projects uh, for themselves and realize the need of, of education. Uh, looking, for instance, from our experience, we, we have managed to successfully work um, with government through partnerships. And the main purpose why we work with governments is to make sure that we influence policies and curriculum frameworks so that whatever is taught uh, is already indicated in policy documents. Um, and then again, we provide technical expertise and advice to, to the governments as well on the ongoing curriculum reforms. If uh, today in the 21st century, we are looking at 21st century skills. And so uh, we're making sure that whatever that is in the curriculum is well aligned uh, to the expectations of the, the skills required today. Again, uh, I would say that uh, 
teachers as well need that uh, support. That's why we have at Educate, we have, uh, I would call it training model uh, that is meant to proceed, you know, supporting and working closely with teachers, uh, making sure that we are able to understand uh, their needs and give them continue, continue support in the areas where they lack accordingly, uh, in the lines of pedagogy, in the lines of pedagogy. So yeah, that's it. Uh, maybe I would hear from my counterpart and then we'll hit it there as we exchange uh, different experiences. Uh, hello everybody, I'm Elliot Washer. I'm co-founder of Big Picture Learning. We have schools that start with the interests and choices of each and every student in our schools, uh, where they're connected to real world learning uh, through uh, mentors and internships we call learning through interests or internships and uh, we have about 150 schools around the world and our, our work is to influence uh, public education systems around the world through our schools and innovative practices. Elliot, can you give us a few examples of the countries that Big Picture Learning is present? Sure, uh, US, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, Kenya, Italy, uh, today I'm with eight people from the UK that are starting a school in January in Doncaster, uh, the Netherlands, all over. Yeah. Okay, so let's start with a um, first question for you guys. And my first question will be, can you cite maybe two or three key findings in learning sciences that uh, you find compelling and that you apply on a daily basis that you incorporate in, in your practice to better convey the learning to, to the students and or to the teachers? Well, sure. I, I certainly agree that uh, we, know, we, we know very little. Sometimes we think we know more than we know. But having said that, we do know sometimes our eyes uh, are pretty good indicators and then our instruments follow uh, and our evidence follows. But um, in the case of big picture, we've known for a long time that relationships are, are key to learning um, and that uh, what you want to get better at, what you're interested and motivated to get better at, uh, you want to get better at. And you also, we also know that you want to get better at those things with people who you choose to get better at them with. That runs uh, real deep in um, who we are as people and the things that we want to do and, and develop our cultures around that. Having said that, uh, there's been a lot of work with uh, two neurotransmitters, um, oxytocin and dopamine, that kind of uh, bear that out. Well, oxytocin is uh, a neurotransmitter that has a lot to do with relationships and bonding. And dopamine uh, has a lot to do with uh, how you get better at what you get better at. And uh, in the neurosciences, and in a simply put way, um, finding that they work together. That has tremendous implications for all schools and all learning. And we know that. And that comes across in parenting and how infants even learn from their moms and dads all the way to and through peer relationships and adult relationships that uh, young people form in and outside of school. And what we've done is we've taken on the advantage of that by putting the school as an intermediary, if you will, between uh, inside of school learning and outside of school learning and connecting 
what students want to get better at with people that they want to learn from and bringing that back into school and developing interests and motivations in school and engagement around uh, the academic work that schools are doing, but also what does that look like, which brings me to my next point, in a situated learning environment. So an, another piece that we um, really talk about is outcomes. And sometimes we miss the outcomes that are uh, very valuable in front of us that have to do uh, more with neurosciences. And, and what I mean by that is um, we learn a lot through visualization, socialization, and imitation. And yet, where are those outcomes on our, in our school's list of standards? Well, in the real world and arguably in the school world, that's happening consciously or unconsciously all the time. And yet, when we're in school, it's much more delivered through um, doing something to somebody instructing instead of being with that person, which kind of, and following that person and facilitating the learning around interest and motivation and gearing up to understand where those are and being with a person in a caring and compassionate way so they understand that you're building a relationship there. So the oxytocin, the dopamine, the imitation, visualization, socialization pieces that we're learning from the neurosciences are impacting schools. And I'll, I'll give you one more example. We talk a lot about uh, performance and we talk a lot about all students. I mean, very arguably, the pieces that I mentioned are who we are as all. Also, diet, what we put in our bodies, sugar, fat, and salt in high quantities, impacts our performance levels. Sleep impacts our performance levels. Exercise impacts our performance levels. Uh, we notice from the neurosciences, how are we really seriously paying attention to that in our schools when so much of the diets that young children are eating and older children are eating at home and in school are loaded with sugar, fat, and salt in high quantities that produce diabetes, cancer, heart disease, as well as impact performance on a daily basis. Uh, sometimes on an hourly basis, if you look at the neurosciences, as well as sleep patterns, getting enough sleep and getting enough exercise. So if we do those things and pay attention to them, it's, it's, it seems only logical and rational that we'd raise the performance levels of all students. And yet how much attention is really seriously given to that? So I'll stop there. You asked for three. Those are Probably three pretty good ones we can talk about. Thank you. Yes, they are. And adding to to sleep, um, there's same for sleep. We know little about sleep, but what 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 is being uh, hypothesized is that during sleep we sort of uh, relive our our day in a fast forward mode. So any learning that occurred during the day is consolidated during sleep. So that's why uh, sleep is so important for children and for adults too. We tend to underestimate our our needs. Well, absolutely, and we're, are we doing? Uh, harm by that mm -hmm. <laughs> as good as we can do absolutely okay thank you thank you let's shift to educate thank you so much uh, that was a very wonderful expression of what you're doing i also love the part of, of exercise and sleeping 
Um, I would say our experience at Educate is quite different in terms of science. Part of it, I think we have been very critical at understanding uh, what the youth today really need. And from the experience today and even looking at Africa today, uh, making sure that uh, we mold students or learners who are able to solve community problems, we looked at what special skills can we uh, provide to, to the students to be able to solve problems by themselves. Looking at uh, courses like leadership and entrepreneurship course that uh, we provide to, to schools and that is integrated in the, in the curriculums or in the policy frameworks uh, that is able to enable you know, teachers, is able to enable uh, the instructors on how and what they teach. But again, I would also want to say that if you want to influence learning, uh, you have to bear in mind that learners learn through experience. Learners learn better when they are facilitated and coached. Uh, learners are also able to learn better when they are given challenging tasks. And also if they are given an opportunity to apply uh, what they have learned in real life experience, uh, because that's when they realize the value of education. We want them to be able to see that whatever that they are learning at school is able to be uh, applied. And, and, and in that case, you know, they, they should be asking questions to the teacher that how is this important and how can we apply it? Again, looking at that, that's why we also tasked and challenged with supporting teachers in terms of pedagogy. You know, we have a collaborative, well-structured uh, pedagogy that can support that kind of conducive environment to, to the learners. You know, if you are saying that they learn through experience, the teacher will of course need those special skills on how you give, for instance, challenging tasks to, to a student so that they're able to, to, to apply given theories, um, you know, given processes in, in real uh, life experience. So from, from our experience and from our research so far, we have found out that the scholars and students that we, we have supported so far have been able to double their incomes just because they have received the entrepreneurship skills, have been able to double their incomes, uh, we have also found that more than 64% of the scholars also, when they graduate, are able to find uh, jobs because, because of that experience that uh, uh, they went through uh, while they were learning. So I would say that that's a, a brief uh, description of our model and the impact so far that it has caused, that I would say. Thank you very much for this. Great, and uh, I will add to this discussion as, so we create games to teach emotional intelligence to students at Better Kids, and we work very closely with neuroscientists. And I would say uh, from our perspective, the, the three or four, I would say, uh, principles that we, we applied and that is uh, facilitated by digital experience is, at, first of all, is active engagement. Uh, so we make sure that um, there's a lot of interaction and that there are actions required from the players and students on our side. Um, second is immediate feedback. So there's been 
been interesting experiences where different groups of students were given assignments by teachers. And uh, one of them said, I'll give you your grades right after this session. And the other said, I'll give you your grades in two weeks. And the one who had delayed feedback didn't perform as well. So games and, and the digital world for this is great because obviously you can get, give immediate feedback, which is harder in real life. And then the, the last one is focus. As you all know, we're always distracted by a million things and our brain is constantly uh, making sure that we uh, try and stay on task. So uh, trying not to distract students with different, um, you know, unnecessary um, solicitations is really something we uh, work hard on as well as consolidation and, and scaffolded learning. So when you learn something one day, we make sure you, it's reinvested in a way or another further down in the, in the learning journey because that's how uh, we all learn. <laughs> so let's take a, a step, let's zoom out a little bit and uh, look at the different countries that you are uh, working with. What are the differences that you're seeing in terms of um, uh, evolution in, in learning sciences applied to, to education. And um, can you give us a few examples of countries that might have, you know, shifted their policies or were there um, interesting examples that, that might be inspirational for, for us all? A few things come to mind once again uh, around uh, the pieces around places where we work all over that have to that deal with uh, developing relationships with people in the community around things that students want to get better at. And those are a lot of times uh, cultural, who they are and how they connect themselves um, to their culture, past, present and future and what their culture brings to the future, which is real, real important. That is a lot of times ignored in schools around how people learn. So, um, for example, once again, in schools, most of the delivery is instructional and text-based. We're in most cultures, the delivery of learning and how we learn comes from imitation, once again, visualization, socialization, relationships and what you really want to get better at. And those pieces play out all over in how students uh, connect what they're learning in school to the outside world. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you um, an example. And sometimes I, I don't like to give examples from our school, although I certainly can. I'll give you two. One is I was watching a video uh, the other day of three young women from Kinsale, Ireland, and they learned something, and it was around the Google Science Fair. And they were learning something in school about uh, geography and world hunger in their class that connected them to their to the, what they were passionate about, which was solving a gigantic problem around hunger. And it just so happened that the, one of the young women was in the garden with her mom and discovered something about the legumes they were pulling up and the pods. And that led them to talk to their biochemistry teacher, or microbiology teacher, excuse me. And then they went off together and started doing hundreds of thousands, over 100,000 tests on plants around um, water resistance and disease resistance to produce um, better 
beans and legumes. That was uh, inspired by relationships with the mom, compassion and caring, connections to the school, and the outside world interests of the girls, where they took their own time and did all that work. Now, yesterday, um, I was with a, she's an environmentalist and works at the uh, Botanical Gardens in Providence, is a docent and an explainer, is going to have a degree in her, her as a herbologist, uh, probably, or something in the environmental movement. She's organized the school and schools around uh, eating a plant-based meal, uh, one meal a day. All, all of that comes out of her culture uh, about being plant-based and bringing that relationship and that those cultural experiences back into the school to be caring and compassionate around health reasons, where she's picking up her biology from being at the botanical gardens, working with people. And she has a fantastic mentor where they've had a, a relationship for over two years, who's gonna play a major role, probably, we can't predict the future in, in uh, Jada's life going forward as she goes off to college. So uh, the pieces around this work are, are pretty universal. The things that I, I tried to give examples that I mentioned that would be part of any and all aspects of, of people's cultures to be able to bring those into, into schools um, in significant ways that right now there's little thought about. And that's what would engage and motivate students around doing better in school. Thank you so much, Elliot, for those examples. It's nice to travel in those <laughs> different settings. Learning is mostly influenced by doing. And uh, looking at Rwanda, for instance, the fact that uh, we are going through a competence-based learning uh, curriculum, a lot of expectations uh, from our stakeholders, and more so the students, uh, are so high looking at uh, the fact that they expect teaching and learning to be totally different. I, I remember one, when we, are, we had started launching uh, our model in one of the schools and we are training uh, you know, the teachers at school. Some students had a chance to see what is happening. And, and, and I could say that combining the models uh, that you, you are applying is almost what we do here. Uh, because, for instance, the curriculum expects that it should be able to influence and enable learners to learn through games and plays, to learn through engagements and collaborations uh, within class. And so kids moving around were seeing a different mood of learning in the classroom, and they're wondering why they're missing it in their class. So one of the questions that I was asked as I was getting out was, why can't you give this as well to us because it was very uh, motivating and exciting on the side of the learners. And to me, that's what influences learning. Emotionally, if uh, people are enjoying learning, they shouldn't perceive learning as something that uh, they have to memorize, they have to grasp, they have to run, they have to, you know, they should perceive it as, as something that is enjoyable, you know, as something that is quite going to impact their lives. Um, again, you know, skills-based learning also as well, I would say, as one of the good examples uh, I've seen. One of the things that we also prove that uh, skills-based learning and our model is very important because it has made students uh, create projects for themselves through exhibitions uh, where students are able to exhibit different uh, projects 
that are solving community problems. You know, you can't imagine how the stakeholders within the community come and see, and they will prove that actually learning is taking place by just looking at what learners have been able to, to make out of what they learned at school level. And everyone is so expectant. And, and this year, we are going to be able to do national exams for the first time. We are, able, we are going to be able to assess what learners have been doing uh, in the curriculum nationally. And I'm very sure that everyone is expecting a change. So uh, looking at that kind of, of, of experience, I would say that uh, the stakeholders, the government, is uh, backing us up to, to make sure that we scale and we go beyond 300 schools, for instance, that we're supporting in Rwanda so that everyone receives this kind of approach uh, beyond just policy and curriculum. But they are given support, they are coached, teachers are coached, teachers are mentored, uh, so that they use uh, a very collaborative method of teaching uh, in their classroom. So I would say that testimonies are coming up that uh, they're experiencing a, a very critical change. Thank you for this. Now, add just a, a few words on Europe and, and the focus there in, in two countries I, I know a little bit about, which is uh, France and the UK. Um, I think both countries have are very conversant with the fact that learning sciences have a lot to bring to education. Um, however, there's still a big contrast because although in the UK, I think about 30% of schools are participating in research proactively and are letting uh, scientists uh, conduct inspections conduct experiments in school settings. It's not the case yet in France. And so there's a bit of a paradox where people want more uh, science-based learning, but at the same time, it's hard for scientists to actually conduct experiments in schools and make progress on their research. So I think for policymakers, it'd be great to try and foster more collaboration between two worlds of, of research and, and educators and schools. Um, and so focusing on, on schools right now, if I have two questions for you. The first question is, what is your dream for the next 10 years in terms of learning for your organizations? And, and the second question is, what would be a simple piece of advice that you can share with a teacher that might be in our audience today and that would be immediately activable um, on, on their side. So something simple that they can um, take away and, and apply in their classroom um, starting tomorrow. Well, I guess uh, the work that we're doing, I, I hope, has influence around uh, connecting schools outside of school learning and in situated learning environments where um, the, the skill sets and the uh, personal qualities that, that students are picking up are qualified by people who are qualified in the real world. So, um, for example, a new book came out of Julia Freeland Fisher's book on called Who You Know? Um, our work is they do some nice evaluation of our work in that in that book because schools basically give out diplomas and certifications around what you know content but in the real world what you know and who you know and who knows what you know 
and who you choose to know from are all connected. And, and, and this is borne out in the, the neurosciences and psychology and sociology and anthropology, that those meshworks are, are very, very important. So my dream uh, would be for schools to pay attention to the productive things that students are doing outside of school so that they can engage them inside of school and deepen that learning and those skill sets that bring in uh, the academic pieces as well as the other pieces about how we also learn and count those because every student is different. So that's my dream is blending into what would I say to each and every teacher out there, administrator, would be to pay attention to who's in front of you. We have a little expression, and I don't know who who's quote who's the person to acknowledge the quote to, but we kind of always say, if our instruments were only as good as our eyes, um, we have a lot of evolution in our bodies and our senses that tell us things that we must pay attention to and look at each and every student, what motivates them, how they're learning, who they want to be connected to, what books they want to read, what people they want to meet, what places they want to go to, and, and what are their big dreams. And, and to avoid... Oh, you can't do this because you can't do that because you don't have any money or you can't travel. You can't do the, and so it, it's lim those limiting factors, but instead pay attention to who's in front of you. Listen real carefully because, and I do know who to attribute this quote to, uh, we do mile wide inch deep. Van Gogh said, as you go deep, you learn many things. So it's both, it's the other way around try to go deep and they're going deep outside and they may be going deep inside, get the relationships going, qualify those learnings with people on the outside. So people access it's an equity issue to have access to people who know, who know what you know, it can't be left just to people who have the wealth and access. Every child needs access to people that they want to meet who they know in productive ways around what they want to learn and how to bring that back into school. So that would be what I would say. It could be done tomorrow. Pay attention to who's in front of you, what their interests, motivations are, what they're doing in the outside, and bring that into school. Thank you, Elliot. That's very inspiring. And we know that on, on back-to-school days, there are schools where teachers come together and they have all the names of all their students, and together they make sure that they all know some students, all of the students, well enough. And so it's a good way, it's a good uh, exercise to highlight, are there any students we don't know much about and whose uh, motivations we're not aware of? So get your... <laughs> teachers together and uh, you can do that that exercise as well and uh, see who's missing great let's shift to educate and your dreams at educate uh, thank you uh, our dream is just one simple one we we dream and we aim that we fully incorporate skills-based learning model in all national or government educational systems across africa you know, we dream that, uh, you know, the curriculums are able to, should, will be able to incorporate, you know, skills-based learning across all the subjects where learners are given a chance to, 
to learn by doing in day-to-day normal teaching and learning in classroom. If, if that can be, you know, if it can be able to happen and be adopted in all the curriculums uh, across Africa, I'm sure uh, that education won't be the same again. One simple advice I also have for the teachers who's listening in, try as much as you can to influence and change how you teach, because how you teach is what creates an entrepreneur, is what creates an engineer, is what creates uh, a doctor, is what creates a better teacher, you know, is what creates someone who will look at the world in a positive uh, approach, who look at influencing and changing the world differently. So I would say that applying a very collaborative pedagogical approach uh, in the classroom uh, would be able to change learners. And also bearing in mind that uh, as a teacher, you are a mentor. You are a mentor, you are a coach, you should be very close to your students. Uh, you should make sure that you ask them the challenges they are facing. And day by day, you adopt your teaching practices. It will make the learners, you know, be able to apply some of the things that you're teaching them. I would also say that it would also be ideal if you're a teacher and you give the learners a platform where you can be able to test, assess, and measure that learning is taking place. Just for instance, uh, the fact that at Educate we, we, uh, we are selling into the use of business clubs into schools. The simple clubs, a simple platform where you will go and, and test things, where you'll be able to see what learners are doing, where you'll be able to see uh, that learners are now creating, they are adopting, they are you know, using different uh, approaches that you have put them in class to apply them in real life. So I would say that would be the simple example that I could give to an instructor. Thank you. Great, thank you. This is certainly actionable. And well, I'll, I'll share um, our dream at Better Kids, I think, is that every student uh, is given a chance to build a strong emotional foundation. We resonate with, with Elliot's approach in saying that motivation is key and also the paying attention to students and their difficulties is uh, important as well. So my hope and my advice to teachers is instead, you know, when you see a disruptive behavior in a classroom, pay, it, pay attention to it in a way that you don't send the kid for a timeout, but rather ask him to uh, think about what what is the emotion he or she is having difficulty, he or she is having difficulty uh, regulating right now. So instead of saying, stop misbehaving, uh, rather say, I can see you're having a difficulty uh, with an emotion. What is it and where is it coming from? And let's uh, work together to get you past this just this difficulty. Let's let's address maybe one last question before we shift to questions that have been uh, asked by our our audience today. And I would my question to you would be 
we talked about uh, skills-based learning, but as we know, we live in a world where things are uh, shifting at a very rapid pace. So it's not always so easy to know what are the skills uh, that will be applicable in, in 10 years from now. How, what is your your perspective for each view as to how artificial intelligence might impact learning, be it positively or, or negatively or in a different way. We're real good at uh, solving problems as, as a race. Human beings are pretty good at that. Uh, arguably, we cause some as well. And that's what we do. We deal with uh, situations, places that we're in, we try to figure out ways to solve those problems. It used to be we use rules of thumb, and now, which are general, broadly say, are heuristics. And now uh, we rely more and more on algorithms. There's some dangers in that, of course, about how you look good to a machine. Uh, really, is can give you some very funny and humorous results whenever you're on a machine and it gives you feedback around who it thinks you are. At the same time, uh, that work is uh, evolving. But I'm, I'm basically really about how can our technologies improve our relationships and, and ways to learn and get along better rather than taking over or our machine relationships and neglecting and uh, leaving out our humanity. So I think we're in a kind of a, we're always in a precarious place as people. Um, this is one of those places where without our humanness and humanity in it, I worry about uh, where things go with uh, just technological skill sets that there has to be uh, work in conjunction with and how can artificial intelligence or technologies that, advance what we're doing with people in mind, body and spirit, not just mind. Um, our minds are out in the world. We're not just in our heads. And, uh, and that, that's a piece of neuroscience that neuroscientists really do talk about. You're out in the world. It's different than just being in your head. And your body is out in the world and you're sensitive feel in the world. So so these pieces, and I don't mean to digress here too much, these pieces are kind of real fascinating about how we really do move forward on on keeping ourselves in the midst of the technology so it doesn't overwhelm us and it doesn't reflect who we are or the other species in the planet. Thank you. I've indicated we, we are evidence-based and uh, we are very keen to travel and be at par according to how changes have come in. That's why we we do we use things like RCT, we do pilots, we have different types of research happening to make sure that we understand that in the government at school level, um, how are things changing? As you said, that uh, skills-based learning, of course, would need to be able to approach it. You need to be very dynamic uh, because things are always changing, looking at the trends of the world today. Um, and I would also say that the government's always reform review curriculums every after three years, and that gives us technical advisors a chance 
to adopt the skills that are very crucial and necessary at the moment, bearing in mind that things have changed. I would also say that the fact that our approach, which we call skills-based learning, which is more uh, skills-based learning by using of skills-based pedagogy, which is skills lab, uh, it is very collaborative. And so when the teacher is in classroom via groups, seeing how learners are asking questions, what they are learning, even the teacher is supposed to be able to, you know, adopt his teaching, uh, his question approach, his ways of assessing students according to the needs of learners in the real class before even the policies have changed. It is the teacher who needs to be adoptive, bearing in mind that we have learners of different backgrounds. The teacher is supposed to be inclusive centered in, in the classroom. Uh, the teacher is supposed to understand that uh, he is faced with uh, learners who, who have different experiences. And through the learner's experience, the teacher is supposed to adopt his teaching approaches, uh, give learners a chance to share findings of what they are seeing in their communities. And I would say that teaching and learning is a collective effort, not just the teacher bringing information on the plate or just teaching, uh, but also listening from the students. What are the experiences? What are they finding in societies? Uh, what are they finding in their communities? What are their challenges? And then they adapt them to suit the teaching needs in the classroom. So the teachers really should be able to be at the center of adoption, given different changes. The government also is supposed to review the curriculum every after three years. And as I said, as technical advisors, uh, we are able to come in and give support on top of that. Our research uh, that is always happening gives us uh, the background of the skills we need to adopt and how best we need to support the government and schools we work with. Thank you. Let's take advantage of the uh, last few minutes to address questions from, from our audience. There was a question for Elliot about how, Elliot, you discussed how learning needs to be personalized and focused on each child's dreams and interests, but can this model be scaled, particularly in developing countries with low budget? Uh, absolutely. Personalized uh, means that there's people involved. There's a person, and and the uh, technology is used with the uh, judgments of people. They are adults in and outside of school, so that's one piece. You know, the definition of personalized is got many definitions out there. So, just be clear about that. That there's a person. Uh, two, biologically, and if you look at us culturally, that's exactly what happens, what we do. Uh, we just made it into uh, school. So school has to pay more attention once again to who's in front of them, what their interests are. Interests lead to career choices, to allow students to express their agency in productive ways because there's adults around them, not just their peers, who know what they're interested in and how to connect that to school. If you don't do that, you're creating a learn and forget design that we've had for a long time. And you're creating uh, lots of inefficiencies in what students are learning that there's nothing to really stick it to, be it people, objects, places, where that information that they have that's gonna turn into knowledge and hopefully wisdom when they spend a long time getting better at those things can be used to problem solve 
in the situations that we're that they're going to be in. So whether schools pay attention to this or not, this is really how we learn in a personalized way where we do connect all the time to people. It's a question of who we connect to and how we facilitate that. We do have affinities for the things that we're interested in and the dreams that we have. And it doesn't matter when we've done work in the toughest places, in the toughest cities, in the toughest rural areas where people say sometimes in a pessimistic way, young people don't have dreams, hopes, aspirations, and interests. They do. By the time you're three years old, you're already selecting things that you want to get better at and people that you want to show you how to get better at those things. I don't care if it's tying a shoe or putting your shirt on. You're saying, I got to do this better. And I want grandma to show me how to do it better. That's basically how we're learning. Using that kind of information and knowledge and wisdom in schools is imperative. It's not just about doing something to somebody. It's being with somebody, as was pointed out uh, by Roger and I. So those pieces are real, real important around personalization and are using our biology to influence what we're doing inside of schools and outside of schools. And of course it's possible. It's what we do all the time. <laughs> we have a system that is highly disengaging to many, many students. It's not dealing with the issues and problems of, you know, how can you learn if you're hungry? How can you learn if you didn't sleep well? All right. Yes. If you really didn't sleep well, if you're really hungry, all right. How can you learn if you're really, really tired? So if you and you, if you just keep going and turning the page, what kind of learning are you going to get from that? So we have to pay attention to these things and we have to be caring and compassionate around each and every one of our students. And I believe that's what teachers really want to do. I truly believe that. So that's part of the work, along with the development of the skill sets and the academics and the interests and moving our young people into their futures. Thank you, Elliot. Um, we have one more minute for the last question, which was about um, aren't the principles of focus and immediate feedback contradictory in terms of learning experience? Um, I'll take this one. The uh, focus is means that you focus on one learning objective. As you know, we can't double task, <laughs> or especially not when we're learning a new task and our prefrontal cortex is so highly solicited. Um, the feedback, the immediate feedback part is more in terms of retrieval of information. So there's a phase where you learn and uh, you're focused. And uh, when we were talking about immediate feedback, it means that when we're, I'm asking a student uh, about a learning that already happened to make sure that he or she can retrieve it, um, then I should be able to give him immediate feedback so his brain uh, can validate or invalidate the assumption that that was made uh, when um, they shared an answer with me. So um, they can work together nicely. Great. Thank you so much, uh, Elliot and Rogers, for your participation today. It was fascinating uh, learning from your different organizations and countries and perspectives. So we truly appreciate and I'd like to thank WISE as well for uh, facilitating this um, webinar today. 